Hello and welcome to another edition, episode 23 of Two Irish Guys Discussing Software. That's I'm Tomas. I'm Yeah, welcome. We are here again. It is a fine, fine sunny day here in Dublin, Ireland, because that's where two Irish guys hang out. This is our podcast. For those of you coming for the first time, we talk about lots and lots of things to do with the mega vendors, the big tech legacy players. We talk about their tactics, the things they're up to. We give a few hints and tips to people about what they should do. We've got a bit of gossip, or as much as we can find in these companies and the individuals who run the company. We'll have a few bits of news I'm sure a bit of financial news when it comes out and Brendan's very good at that stuff but we'll also have some really interesting guests and we're delighted today later on to be joined by Eric Chu Eric is the leader of and uh, managing director of HW Fisher's IT asset consulting practice at Fisher ITS he is somebody that I've known for a number of years one of the first guys I met in this industry back probably the bones of nearly 10 years ago now at this stage and uh, his goal in life is to level the playing field between the tech vendors and the customers. And I thought that was a very interesting mm. thing to talk about, given today is about the decline of the mega vendors. And the decline of the mega vendors, in my view, when you see it visually in my mind, is that there's a rebalancing and a re-leveling, which I think uh, we will get to at some point. Sounds like we have a lot in common with Eric. Loads, loads in common, and we're going to have a great chat. And I know Eric for a good while. We're going to catch up on a few things. Before we do that, uh, how, how have you been? <laughs> not, not too bad. All right, considering, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the longer evenings, you know, uh, makes you feel a bit better. And we had St Patrick's Day recently. Yeah, we did. How was yours? Well, it started off really well. I'd taken the next following day off. I was going to watch the uh, horse racing. Uh, from Cheltenham on on the television with my daughter. She has a horse. I brought her up to the horse and she fell very badly actually Mm. off the horse. We were quite worried about her. She was taken in an ambulance to the hospital. Uh, Thank God that she didn't need an operation. They were able to kind of manipulate her pelvis. It's it's fractured in three places. But she's on the road to recovery. She's 17 and Hopefully she will be fine. Yeah, yeah that's uh, nasty. Well, that's, so yeah, that's so the kind of, of thing that would stop you wondering about the mega vendors. You know, puts it in perspective. It did. It stopped yeah. me for a few days for sure. Yeah. Uh, but we got to get, as, anyway. the, as the saying goes, I got to get back on the horse. <laughs> oh, God. Doesn't sound like she'll be back on one for a while. But anyway, I'm sure she'll be on the men soon. She's young enough. She is. She yeah, is yeah. indeed. So yeah. So that's been happening in my life. So yeah, that's. Well, I'm glad I didn't have that type excitement no nothing nothing particularly exciting the only thing that's exciting is the thought of traveling again oh so yeah i mean we've been talking about not going to trade conferences and trade shows for a while so we're now starting to book some where are we going where are we going well i'm going to can i come and take you to can... vegas ah yeah. fantastic and you know what they say about vegas i have no idea <laughs> what happens in vegas stays in vegas yeah. excellent well I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to staying in vegas <laughs> yeah and also copenhagen and the uk and so yeah a few a few trade events uh, popping up with some of our friends like uh, you know itam review i think in september and uh, some sam events and procurement events so yeah looking forward to that wow okay Meeting people 
Gee, let's fingers crossed these things customers. happen. Yeah. We did try to do these things before, but we had to cancel them. But yeah, yeah. hopefully. We've cancelled a lot. Yeah, we've cancelled a so lot. So looking forward to that. A bit of normality. Yeah. So and so what news is going on? What's been happening in the world? That's I mean, we have to we, we have to talk about our, our favourite people in the yeah. world. There's a lot of IBM. news. There's a lot of news. You're gonna have to manage me today so I don't kinda of run over. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's so I, many I, stories. I, I, I've got the I got the three line whip yeah. here. Hit me hit me no, don't hit me with the whip. Uh, but yeah, lots of news about IBM, uh, Oracle this week, Salesforce, Microsoft. I think everybody gets a go this week. So we'll start with IBM. And the best place to start with IBM is in the courtroom because they spend a lot of time there um, yeah. fighting with their clients. Um, so They're becoming a law firm nearly <laughs> at this stage, aren't they? Yeah, they're fighting with uh, two of their UK customers, You know, very briefly, Direct Line Group. One of their clients was in a, they're in a lawsuit with them. Actually, they settled. Don't know how they settled for but. Somewhere on the courts of the of, of the of of the the district court, I'd imagine, over an agile project to move off an insurance platform that was running on the mainframe. So this kind of goes back to about two thousand fourteen, and it was kind of complicated. There was like Teradata were involved in a data warehouse, and there was ETL extract, transform, transform and load, as some people might know, using Informatica, which actually would be a competitor of IBM's for its kind of information server products. Anyway, it was a bit of a, according to to, the reports, it was a bit of a botched job and the project has to be restarted from scratch. So, you know, just an example of IBM not really delivering. But that kind of brings us back to then another similar project that they had with Co-op, which we talked about before. Another customer. Um, Another customer. And... I kind of heard about this this a few years back, you know, before I was with Origin, actually, on the street. Kobe used to be a client of mine. I heard it was kind of something rumbling, but I didn't really know what was going on. But there was a £175 kind of million pound project, another agile project. Now, agile is supposed to be you know, nimble and swift and easy, but it turns out it was uh, anything but. So it caused a lot of failures. They were using a subcontractor called One Insurer. Yeah. But basically, the way I read it, it was about typical for projects. They subcontracted one insurer. It looks like one insurer didn't have the resources to deliver. But I also just see, you know, from my perspective, overselling. Yeah, this is the thing. I was you know, going to say that. This, is, this you, is less you, about the, all the money. It's about they, they sold bad, something that just was bad, bad, bad selling. selling. They sold something that just didn't look fit for purpose. I mean, they sold something that was supposed to be, uh, this is off the shelf, yeah. a little bit of configuration. We drop it in. Okay, it's a 135 million project, so it's not quite drop in, but it is agile. But it turns out that the product that they were putting in was built for the U.S. insurance market. So it's not built for the U.K. insurance market. So it's going to need, like we've all done this stuff. It needs, yeah. you know, massive configuration, change management. You probably have to change the the database. You know, you have to change the screens. The language is different. So anyway, there was an overrun. Co-op pulled the plug. IBM then Sorry, they wouldn't pay an invoice because of under because they hadn't delivered. Yeah, yeah. IBM then start stop working on the project. So they take they go to court. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Go to court with two customers. What was the final then? What was the settlement? Was there a settlement? Well, there was, was a settlement there? of of thirty million for damages. Not yet determined who pays for the for the court for for the costs, and yeah. uh, it was presided over by a, a Mrs. I thought it was interesting, Mrs. Justice O'Farrell. She she must be related to somebody we know, Justice Mary O'Farrell. So. <laughs> She went to Durham University. I don't. She's obviously Irish, but uh, but that's uh, so two Irish guys and one yeah Irish, Irish judge, uh, Irish judge. Yeah, I mean it's amazing though. I mean you look at IBM and they're doing all this stuff where they're taking their customers 
go to court with the cuss. But that those things happen. I understand all that. You know, I mean, things happen. You can't avoid the courts. There seems to be a lot of it. Their employees, you know, they're they're. We've had talked about this before. Various different scenarios with their employees. But you know, I saw recently. I love this one. Is in the Wall Street Journal. They had this uh, the best innovators of, of U.S. companies in, in or in the world actually mm-hmm. in the Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal. And IBM came in at number two after huh? Amazon and ahead of Microsoft. Right. I mean. Okay. I, I, I just surprising. I mean, for innovation. I mean, for innovation. Where, where if it, is? If it was the company breakup in where did these lists come? You know? Where did these lists come from? I actually saw another one. It's a classic one. There was a company called Drucker, the Drucker Institute, and just before I forgot to say this to you before. Just before Christmas, they had the best run companies of America, given all the stuff we talk about. Yeah. yeah. IBM is number three. Jeez. Wow, that's a I mean, I don't know. Maybe we just haven't a clue. Yeah. Maybe we just don't. Maybe we did these guys. You know, from, you know, whoever puts these lists together. We should put our list together. This is what we'll do. We'll yeah, put our list together. We're not quite the Wall Street <laughs> Journal yet. You know? I know. But we'll submit it online. The petition. Well, speaking about innovation, then, because you know, they're the most innovative, or the second or third most innovative company. Well, they used to make a lot of money from innovation. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, uh, from their patents. I mean, I guess you know, the closest thing to patent trolling as you could possibly find. But apparently the way they do it, it's not called trolling, it's called godfathering because they just hoover up all the patents, right? Mm. They file for patents for stuff that they're never going to use. I told you they were law firm. <laughs> well, they certainly must have lots of patent lawyers on their side. But they, it used to kind of generate bi- about a billion a year. So... Like since 1996, it's generated a billion. a billion. Since 96, they've generated 27 billion just from patents for products that they're not even going to sell for license agreements related to the patents. And companies come along and say, "We want to do this, but you you won't." Yeah, patent. so they pay they pay them. Yeah, so they pay them a fee. But what's happened recently is companies are pushing back. Uh, companies like Airbnb and Chewy and so and they're waging battles in the courtroom because they're kind of saying these patents are ancient. You yeah. know, they were invented in the dark ages. When the internet was being conceived, you know, you put down some patents around certain activities and maybe monitoring customers or customer analytics, and they're, and they're kind of they're dated. Like mm. it's, everything is, you have a patent for it is essentially ubiquitous. Like mm. everybody knows about it. Uh, so the patent revenue is dropping. It's dropped from a billion to just over six hundred million, which is a big drop. So it looks like this, you know, innovation. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, the right result, but but anyway, their IP revenue was down. It obviously was a big revenue boost for them, but it's but it's on the decline. So what is it now? Just six hundred and twenty-six. Oh, sorry, six hundred twenty-six from million. A, from a billion. Because yeah. you remember your man Jim Chanos, that famous short seller. <coughs> we saw he did an interview mm-hmm. there before Christmas, and he was talking about IBM being the the ultimate value trap. And he was looking through their earnings, and he, these, that's what these guys do. I mean, he's he's famous and mm. doing this. He's tearing their 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 income statements apart. And he was he talks about them their economic IBM's economic earnings. Okay, mm. so he says IBM's economic. They're about ten dollars per share is their is their announced earnings on average mm. at the moment. And it's come down from yeah. kind of twelve or thirteen dollars yeah. per share, um, and it's been on decline. But actually, what he does is he looks at actually what's their real earnings, economic what he calls economic earnings, which is looking at the operating income. Those proper royalties they get from patents mm. and intellectual property rights mm. and less interest for all the money. I mean, I'll look at the money they borrowed for the for the Red Hat acquisition. Yeah, sure. They're actually down at $6 per share. The rest of the money is made up of, apparently, tax credits and other, other one-off items. Right. So they're actually, real earnings are 40% below what they're publishing. Publishing, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're telling me then that they're, Actual one of those income lines mm. is dropping by thirty five percent, whatever that thirty eight percent, thirty seven percent. 
that's from a billion to six hundred and twenty-six million. That's a huge impact. Yeah, and that'll be that'll be you know pure profit. Like you know. they're going to need some. They're going to need some good leadership. Yeah, they're going to need some good leadership of the company gonna, and they're to stay on that innovation index and get yeah. themselves out of that. And they're going to need some. <clears throat> have they got what? Are, well, so, yeah. So, well, speaking of leadership, yeah. So we know we've all talked about Nuco. You can listen to some of the previous podcasts to hear what we have to say about that. So it looks like Nuco is hiring. Mm. So I don't know if you got your CV in there, but uh, anyway, it's hired some kind of incumbent players, oh. uh, such as Ellie Keane. Would, would I be eligible? Uh, well, unless you've got you know kind of a lifetime of like, working as a GM for IBM. Or <laughs> or, yeah, I think it's, I think it's all you, about the veterans. Yeah, you know, you'd have to have sacrificed about twenty five years of your life in uh, you know as a chief marketing officer or demand generator to get the job. But no, two insiders, Ellie Keenan and uh, Maria Bartolo, who's yeah. going to be there. I know, but you, CMO, need, you, you know? need to, you need to keep it in the inside because yeah. fresh blood just does there's no good for a company. Don't be bringing outside ideas into this room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're so they're keeping it in. So they they're they're hiring their their senior team, but they've yet to name the company. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And speaking of their senior team, I don't. I'm sure these guys are getting well paid, but Krishna and and Jimmy Romney are still certainly got well paid. Between them, they they hoovered up about 40 million in 2020, where they presided over a 4.5 percent decline in revenue. We all know that about Ginny that she she presided over a kind of a 25 billion <laughs> drop in revenue from from the time she joined. So huge money, but I, 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 everything's relative, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, and I guess you know you, you get what you pay for, don't you? But I, I actually thought more than the forty million that they've earned between them in, in a year is is that Ginny isn't gone. That she's actually a contractor now. Believe it or not, she never goes no, she away. Is. She's, she's a contractor. I think she set up her own little company, and she probably pays pays the money into that company. But she gets paid a daily rate. Oh, yeah. What is the daily rate for Ginny Ramadi of this world? Twenty thousand a day. Twenty thousand a day. Now it's not for a full day. She has to work more than four hours a day. And if she does work for more than four hours a day and she, file, and she clocks in and clocks out, she gets paid 20 grand a day. If she doesn't work four hours a day, she only gets paid 10 grand. Uh, so that's a nice gig, isn't it? God, could you, go to, could you do two four-hour days? So that would sort out a few. You'd probably be able to build your showman in the back of your house which are 20 grand a day. Oh, listen, I don't, I don't think we've ever had so many IBM stories in one in one, yeah, one, we'll one, on one sitting. We better, we got, we've got to fall yeah, over. They are the gift that keeps on giving. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. About it, but, I mean, who else is who else we got? we got to go to Oracle. Let's tell us. They, they had their results, didn't they? Yeah, Larry's been been up and at it again. So yeah, they had some results. They finished their financial year at the end of May. So they just they just went and answered Q three. So they were up, you mm. know, a little bit up to ten million, uh, which is which is a three percent year on year for for Q for Q three FY twenty one. Like not staggering growth. If you think of the growth that some of the new vendors, the likes of the Zoom, the Zoom and Slack, and uh, these companies are generating, where their growth is yeah. hundreds of percent year on year and quarter on quarter. You know, 3% isn't particularly great. I suppose maybe positive for them is that their subscription revenue now accounts for 72% of their revenue, which increases your valuation. But it, but the market isn't that happy. They're kind of saying that the, the revenue is not accelerating at a material pace. Mm. You know, like 3% isn't particularly exciting. They've also done a share buyback, which obviously removes the number of shares floating in the market. That increases their share price. And as a result of all of that, their share price dropped by about 10, 9.9%. So... Like it's not very exciting for them. People don't. People are not. Again, this is the problem. This is the we talk about. Talk to Eric in a little while. The decline in the mega vendors. There, nobody likes the stories out of them. They're just fighting each other. Just fighting each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's like big bullies in the back room that nobody cares about are having thumps at each other. Was it? What's something about Christian Klein? 
came out in January and said that, oh, we have 200 ERP wins against Oracle. And what does Larry say at this well, one? Well, Larry says, well, that's not true. We can't find any evidence in that. But but here's 100 that we'll list since the, in the last quarter. And he went on to list. He took 10 minutes of the, the announcements to, to essentially attack SAP. And he listed off, you know, East Sussex. And oh yeah, he, other, read, you know, he, he read. He read a hundred names. He really read. And he said, names, "Yeah, you know. he read a hundred names." And he said, uh, "And there's more." There's more. I mean, honest yeah, to Christ, yeah. uh, it's, it's very political. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and that's and that's not all. So yeah, yeah so we'll see if there's a. We, we might see uh, a repast from uh, from SAP uh, in our next. Oh, that'll be uh, that'll be fascinating. <laughs> I saw that they lost as well. They lost the court. They lost a, seat, a, a federal court case. That remember the one we mentioned before about the Sunrise Firefighters Securities oh, fraud. Yeah, they were suing them by overinflate. Their, uh, yeah. their revenue, their cloud revenue. So, yeah, and yeah. the funny thing is, during all of those announcements, they were talking about, and, and all of the, the, the number of the press were picking up the fact that, oh, Oracle are a big player in the cloud industry and, mm. you know, their, their numbers are really solid. And then this case comes out and says, actually, the, what was the, what was the, the audit bargain, ABC, the oh, audit yeah. bargain close activity? <laughs> yeah. They were basically, looks like they were manipulating their numbers completely. That's what the judges basically That's saying. They were, they were pretending that they had more cloud revenue than they actually yeah, but had. The, you just name a product, put the name cloud in it. And yeah, then but, say it's but where are the journalists then going writing these you know, articles? They don't even actually do any research. Yeah. Like this case comes out a few days later. Like you know, the pro- you wouldn't know from the product names what they are. Like is it bridge to cloud? Is it you know? Is it a cloud pack? Is it a you know? Like I I know from talking to customers recently that you know who have these IBM not talking about IBM IBM cloud packs, but they're actually deployed on premise. And they're perpetually licensed. But, but, they call some, them a cloud but some of the software still, do, I mean, it's supposed to work. Some of the software still doesn't work. Do you hear about <coughs> Citigroup having to try and get back almost $900 million that they paid out incorrectly by using an Oracle product? They're not saying it was all Oracle's fault. But, but there's issues. Oracle. Yeah, but it's a product that, that, that for FlexCube that Citigroup were using. Now, these things can happen. But surely to God, these things should work better. You yeah, know what I mean? Have you seen the, the screenshots of the product? It looks like something from the dark ages, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, it does. I mean, how could a, how yeah. could a user possibly yeah. be expected to, to click the right buttons? Yeah. Uh, Anybody else we need to talk about? Uh, well, Salesforce had their Q4 and FY21. So yeah. they're also up year on year. They posted good revenues, to be fair to them. Yeah, you know, $5.82 billion for the quarter, uh, which is a 20% increase on, on, on last year. Their FY, full FY2021, because their financial year at the end of January, if anybody's interested, was also up. But the market isn't happy, again, because their profits are down. So the market is kind of saying, yeah, but like revenue's up, but we're not happy with the profit. The forecast profit for 22 isn't great, and your free cash flow isn't, isn't particularly attractive. Yeah. So they need to look after some of the other numbers. And their share price dropped. So so S- Salesforce, who would have been probably 10 years ago, certainly didn't when the new kids of the block, mm-hmm. is now obviously <clears throat> definitely in the... The mega vendor oh, yeah. le- legacy yeah, yeah, space, yeah. Um, and it's twenty billion, you know, in, yeah. in revenue. But it's, I think, you know, there's a, there's a drag on its stock price, and, and potentially because of the, the Slack acquisition, they paid twenty seven billion for that, and that's yet to kind of materialize. So, you know, it's not the the market darling, and it's the, you know, there's other companies like Workday, you know, up there in, in a kind of similar space. You know, they've got over a billion now in, in revenues annually, but their their share price is also declining. But in good news, they are hiring four hundred people in. Oh, um, you know, that'd be good for the week. Good yeah. for some more Not sure where they're going I, I, to go. Good for some more Irish guys. It says at its Dublin HQ, but nobody's actually working from a HQ anymore. So, yeah. so we just watch. I will one day. We'll be going traveling yeah. soon, as you said. Yeah. 
But, but they, they've listened again, again. We can never find a bad story about Microsoft. Uh, we struggle, we <laughs> struggle. Sure. We look, no, no, we look, we look, and, and they're they're now cozying up to the European publishers. Yeah, you know, the case around that was down in Australia about oh, the yeah. use of the, yeah. the media, Facebook, Facebook and they've Google kind of cozied up to them. They're supporting the mandate that mandating of payments of content, so they're they're jumping into bed and becoming the good guy. Mm. I mean, I've, we've looked. We did find a news report and it went like this. Bill Gates arrested after a knife incident in Nebraska. <laughs> now, I'll pause to say that was reported in Newsweek as a piece of fake news, it turned out. But that was yeah. actually the news report from various news sources in Nebraska. A guy called Willie Gates Jr. was uh, detained by the Lincoln Police <laughs> Department. He turned out to be a 39-year-old guy. So, anyway, uh, we looked. I mean, Brian was looking hard. He, and he wasn't carrying the, the patent for the coronavirus. It is, no, it's no, 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 no. Yeah. Listen, it's all looking downhill for these guys. I, I can't believe it. The decline of the mega vendors. We have to bring Eric in on this. Eric Chu, just to remind people, Eric is managing director of Fisher ITS. And he is a very interesting person. He spent six years of his life, by the way, helping IBM. Can you believe that, right. Eric? You helped IBM. <laughs> but as I said, he, listen, Eric is running his business now for... The best part of nearly uh, nearly ten years at it. We first crossed our paths properly together in uh, twenty sixteen in Gartner. We stood on stage, and I'm delighted to have you here, Eric. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, Thomas, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to join you guys in the chat. Indeed, I uh, I came from the dark side. I actually helped IBM um, started the compliance program in the UK and um, ended up running quite a few of their compliance audits for just over six years. And um, I have to admit, I didn't make too many friends um, no. in the industry, and that, that's why I decided to um, to basically switch sides and been a much happier man since. So, <laughs> using this of the similar experience and expertise, helping end customers managing their software licenses uh, in a in a better way. And very often defending them in, in vendor order situations. Yeah, you're the classic poacher turned gamekeeper, aren't you? I remember the, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the session we did. We did a joint presentation at that event in October 16. And it was basically, it was around how, why software audits don't have to be painful. <laughs> I suspect while we gave really good advice, I'd say a lot of people listening probably would think that they, they can be very challenging, can they? I mean, this, this is what you, you spend a lot of your time. I know it's not all what you do, but you spend a lot of your time with companies who are going through that pain. Yes, indeed. And, you know, things do change over the years. Most of the vendors are, are still doing a lot of compliance audits. COVID has also accelerated, I guess, some of these audit practices and in terms of how often and how much they, they audit their clients. And one or two vendors decided um, to go down a different path. I have to say, sadly, or most of the vendors are still seeing big vendors. They're still seeing um, audits as, as one of the main sources of revenue today. And that, we'll, that hasn't been easy for a lot of their customers. Yeah, yeah. We'll come back to the audit in a minute. But I'd love to just bring it back to the conversation. And I know you were listening in there while we were chatting, myself and Brandon were chatting. We're painting a picture here, and we do this, you know, we, we, we cover various themes. I thought it was maybe a, a timely to look again at the kind of decline. And when you look at the stories that we, we just went through over the last kind of 15, 15 minutes or so, these mega vendors, you know, take that IBM example from Jim Chainus, they're losing revenue, okay? They are running out of road to of places to, to make money. You can even go back to when we when we were on stage in October 16. That's that's like four and a half years ago. 
it, it, the world has really changed for these guys. And it, I mean, it was difficult then. It looks an awful lot more difficult now, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So in, in our, our world, we kind of cut the vendors into two camps. One is what we call the legacy vendors. Um, that's really trying to be cloud. And, but uh, some of them are more successful than the others. And the other camp is basically the new and up and coming new mega vendors. So you're absolutely right. I completely agree. I think I think quite a lot of those in the legacy camp um, in our world, the SAPs and Oracles and IBMs in this world, um, they are trying to convert themselves into cloud. Not been great. Um, you talked about the numbers and potentially some of the you know the manipulation of those numbers. And 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 absolutely that that has been a, a challenging transition for them. But even for the new mega vendors like Salesforce and Google and Amazon, if you try and negotiate with Salesforce on on a big enterprise agreement. Sometimes you feel like you're negotiating with an IBM 10 years ago. So again, wow. it's kind of people come and go. <laughs> but I think, I think it comes down to software is a very monopolistic business, isn't it? So if you do something really well, everybody will use you. And then yeah. you become a monopoly in that space and that gives you just a lot of power. So whether it's the, the, the legacy vendors, the new and up and the coming ones, as long as they secure that monopolistic position, it's going to be a tough one for, for the end users to, to basically balance that out, the power out. So it actually then impacts their behavior, doesn't it? Just because of the nature of the market, they can't help themselves. They start out life, and I'm sure Larry Ellison started out life as a visionary and he wanted to help customers and help them do better things with their data. And then he realized actually they didn't need, they needed him so almost more than he needed them. And it just changes the behavior, doesn't it? They end up operating completely differently. And I think, I think also that the bigger the organization grows, the harder it is to control, especially kind of uh, potentially, you know, the top management, the founder even have a, have a very clear vision on what they want to achieve. But then when it when, when the organization keeps growing and growing, I mean, then, then that it's finding its way down, translating down, especially to the sales force. Enterprise software sales is always an interesting area where everybody just want to get foot in the door and then just keep growing their account bigger and bigger. So that's whether the client actually need it or not, that's a, that's a separate story. So I actually heard uh, this is obviously rumors. Um, there's no nothing to back it up. So um, even for Google, we thought that it, it is one of the most innovative companies in the world. But I've talked to a, a couple of ex-Googlers. In many ways, their software business are more and more becoming like a traditional software businesses. And they're seeing the rev- they're really focusing on the numbers, on, on the revenues, on the growth, et cetera. And, and of course, they're still innovating, but uh, you can see that trend coming. The, the, the long story short, I keep hearing one story, it says Google is no longer a startup. And, yeah. uh, it's obvious, but we all thought Google is, is the disruptor, but they are, they are now the new IBM, pretty much. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah but yeah. we see it all the time. Like every time you read the results, from, you know, the quarterly results, it's all about the shareholders and nothing about the customers. That's what I see. You know, I don't hear customer success stories i hear share buybacks you hear about uh, dividend payments you don't hear anything about the customers or if you do you hear it's done in a way that actually they're like pawns mm. like the way larry ellison was yeah, throwing yeah, out 100, 100 names mm. you know or the 200 people that Probably you don't you don't if you're one of those companies you'd go well that is that really helpful to them it is bizarre. I mean, they're like, it's like, uh, is there any hope for us? Can you give us any hope here, Eric? Are we, are we stuck with the big bullies will eventually become old and fall away and die, but then the next bully will come in and he'll beat us up then anyway and, and take on the, he'll, he'll hire a few of the people that will help the big bully the first time around. I mean, is there any way out of this? I, I, think, I think big tech, as, they, as you all know, it's, it's, it's becoming a problem. There isn't an easy answer to this. 
if we look at the last generation of big techs like the Microsoft, Oracles, and, and IBMs, it, they are still controllable. They're not dominating everything in your life. Yeah. But nowadays, if you look at the, the Amazons and the Googles, et cetera, they're not just enterprise big techs. They are everyday big tech as well. So as you probably read the news, uh, various governments are really concerned from data privacy to monopolistic behaviors. But I don't think anybody has got that figured out yet. So that's why kind of from my point of view, I think given the very limited things I can do and help contribute to the situation is, is to basically ensure some kind of trans transparency. It's all about transparency, knowing what the vendors are doing. And by the end of the day, you may not, as a, as a customer, you may not have too many choices. Uh, you're probably looking at, I need a database. It's either Oracle or Microsoft SQL or IBM. So three choices, not a lot. At least from what I can do or my team can do is to provide the level of transparency. So at least within the limited choice, people can make informed decisions. Probably none of those decisions have really worked out perfect for them. But hey, at, at least they, they have they, they make the compromise with every, every information available. So in the long term, you know, how, how this can get resolved, I think that's that's that problem is it's way beyond my my pay grade quickly that way <laughs> yeah but i think i do think there there are examples out there where people are starting to w wake up and smell the coffee a little bit if you think about the stuff that we've talked about before and you know you're aware i'm involved in a number of activities with free ict here in europe lobbying and, and presenting options to legislators and you look at what happened recently in france they've brought out a repairability index which is something that's also been talked about at the European Union level and also in the US as well. So where we where we people can have stuff repaired, so give them, give them back a little bit of control. Even this this week, it's not quite in the area of enterprise software, obviously, but it does give us some parallels where you've got the uh, Reporters Without Borders. They are suing Facebook over a lack of protection for journalists and fake news. So there, there's a pushback by legislators. There's a pushback by groupings that are saying, listen, we need to get back some control. I mean, you, you in the UK hear this all the time, talk about take back control. That's a, that, that was a powerful message in that campaign. But it actually is a generally powerful message anyway, because because that's we, we want a bit more control. We don't like as individuals or as businesses to be beholding. And we see it in our business every day of the week. And I know we're having to talk about our business, but it's exactly one of the main reasons is empowerment. People just want to be empowered. They, they want and need to be empowered, you know? Don't get me wrong. We're, we're still very much in the fight. We're fighting the fight every day. We're doing something similar. You probably heard about um, this before in, in ICAM Forum. So this is the first time we're actually inviting and trying to put all the end user organizations um, together and then basically collectively present their voice back to the software industry in terms of how you know software licensing should work going forward. And, and we're making progress in the area as well. But uh, don't get me wrong. We're, we're very much in the fight, but it's got to be a hard fight. And a big fight, but uh, hey, that's that's you know what we enjoy doing, and uh, hopefully we can make the software market face Yeah, and you're an industry trustee for that, so yeah, that's very 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 good role to do. Tell, tell me, just going back to some of the results that I know you you do encourage people in your industry to actually have, take a very close look at the financial results of some of these companies. Why why is that valuable? I think it's an obvious point. Maybe not so obvious to the wider IT community, but in, in our, our, our area licensing IPM software fund management, it's license compliance revenue has, has been a main revenue driver for a lot of these big vendors for many years. The rumor goes around, it depends on the vendor, they would never put this in their financial statements, anywhere between 20% to 80% of their software revenue is generated, can be easily generated from compliance. Did you say, sorry, 20% to 80%? 80% of their software revenue. So if you look at some of these big vendors, 
legacy vendors um, that wasn't really doing, uh, isn't doing a lot of innovation. Actually, the most of their revenue is coming from compliance. I, 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 won't, I won't get myself in trouble with naming names, but uh, if you look at who's suing their customers the most and uh, just Google audit legal lawsuits and consistently you will see those names come up and the, the, the rumor on the streets, they're earning about 80% of their revenue because of an audit exercise. So, so yes, absolutely a revenue driver, it's a big thing for the, the software companies, especially the, the legacy software vendors who, who hasn't been so successful in, in transitioning the proposition and portfolio into the cloud. And there's another interesting thing here, not many people know, it's a little bit of a counting concept, but if you bear with me. So it's easy to understand if you, you order someone, you basically increase your revenue, right? So you sell more and your, your, your books are gonna look better by the end of the year. But the beauty of this is when you're recognizing compliance revenue, there's no cost of sales associated to it because you're asking people to pay for what they should have paid two years ago or three years ago in principle anyway. So all that money you get from audit goes straight into the profit. So that will look the book even better. So that's why audit is so addictive for a lot of the big vendors because it doesn't just help them increase the revenue, but massively help them increase the profit margin as well because the cost of sale wouldn't be considered for the compliance revenue. Wow. So wow. yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough, but uh, that's why why they're still doing it. Everybody knows um, the customer is not going to like you anymore if you audit them. But you know the numbers, numbers, and uh, they got to do what they got to do. Because uh, we've seen we we had a th- we have a thing where we talked for some news from the street we get, and it was a c- couple of episodes ago. One of the th- pieces of information we saw directly from a cu- customer that we know, they had a hundred and thirty million uh, dollar non-compliance figure thrown at them th- during an audit interaction. Now they were using a one of the main line auditors. It was a one of these mega vendors. It was $130 million thrown at them. It ended up being zero. They ended up being incorrect. Now, the ins and outs of that, we'll, we'll stick it out for today, but how, how common is that? Yeah, first of all, I think your number broke my record. So I've seen 110. So <laughs> yours is uh, slightly higher now. So it's good to hear. But I'll be calling your numbers going forward. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've seen this quite a lot as well across the world, US, in Europe, and in and, and Canada, and Australia, even. Um, these kind of over $100 million claims. And especially with IBM, uh, some of the numbers can be quite big. But one thing I've noticed is, is it's increasingly they're a little bit concerned about sending this out in writing because they know they won't be able to stick to it and they don't want us people like us to start quoting them because they're putting them down in, in, in writing. So one of the interesting things I've seen is a lot of them, the compliance managers start to call their customers up in a settlement position and say, look, it looks like 100 million here, but if you are interested for negotiation, I'll cut it in half. And then we can negotiate from there. Yeah, just to go back to the point, yeah, these these numbers are very common. Um, and uh, but but the vendors are not really serious about this. They know they're not going to claim 130 million. It's just there, kind of as a psychological thing, as a negotiation tactic to set the, the starting position for them. You know, nobody's actually expecting to collect that revenue. And I think a little bit, if we think about it, a little bit deeper than this, is also where the number comes from, right? So this is an important concept. I think some of the, I would say, more innocent customers will say that non-compliance means actually I'm using more licenses than board, right? But in 99% of the cases, especially with big vendors like IBM, that's not the case. You're not you're not non-compliant because you have overused what you, what you bought. It's because you forgot 
who read or you missed that little term somewhere in the contract to say that you're forbidden to use the software in a certain way, in a certain configuration, and your technical people accidentally tick a box in the system, right? Mm. So, so that's kind of what happens. And, and that's why, you know, when, when they may be able to claim 130 million on some kind of a very weak contractual wording, but in reality, no, everybody knows they're not actually, you know, needing that 130 million worth of software. And that's why, you know, it is a possibility that you, you can negotiate away. Now, I'm, pro I'm reasonably suspicious of whether your client has actually negotiated the whole thing away without paying anything. They probably offer something IBM in return, maybe, I don't know, buy some new products and pay them a little thing. Is this like throwing them with a bone to go away? It's, it's a very not nice thing uh, to say, but uh, that's what we're seeing all the time. <laughs> But it's a, it, it just feels like a shakedown. It's a bit like the patent stuff where, you know, they're just threatening companies. I mean, the Groupon CEO a few years back essentially felt he was being shaken down by IBM for a license fee he didn't think he needed to pay, you know, legitimately for a patent that might have been there for 20 years sitting on the shelf and not being used. So it just feel it's just so dishonest, you know. And what it means is it's highly disruptive as well. That the companies then have to go, oh my god, it's a hundred million. I have to then go and get audit defense. I'm going to have to defend myself. It's it's stressful, I'm sure, on the clients. It's just it's distracting from their core business. Yeah, it's just very unpleasant behavior, really. Absolutely. And what I'm going to say is not not news. It was about two three years ago. The Internal Revenue Services, the tax guy, the HMRC equivalent in in the US, they were actually suing IBM after an audit. So they did actually pay, I can't remember the numbers now, multi-millions, big dollars on the back of an audit, IBM claimed that money. Six months down the line, they realized they've been coined. <laughs> they wanted money back. <laughs> so they actually went back and saw IBM. So if anybody's just Google internal revenue services, IBM lawsuit. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, 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 yeah we've, we've, we touched we, on that story. We, 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 we spoke about that, yeah, yeah. That, that was a staggering amount of money. That was a 275 million payout over five years or something crazy. Yeah, yeah. it just shows you kind of how concrete this number can be or cannot be. So, yeah, it's, it's not a very nice business that has been operating, I guess. And Eric, you have spotted something that, that IBM, for example, are starting to do, and I'm sure others have done it already, or if they haven't, they'll do it. Even though it's so profitable, there's a fee that they pay where your old company Deloitte and, and others and KPMG and IBM's case they're, I think they're the main two but others do with other companies they're starting to try and I think you mentioned they're trying to see that they get their customers to pay for that fee so not actually so the, so IBM doesn't want to cover it anymore is that, is that correct have I got that correct in a nutshell yes um, well it, it's not what it reads on the team but IBM has come up with a program called IASP program basically what that means that the part of the deal from IBM is going to offer is they're going to waive the audit clause in their contract so they will never audit you but you have to pay uh, for someone to audit yourself um, and then generate quarterly reports for IBM you can't just pay anybody to do the audits you have to pay for one of the four appointed suppliers by IBM to audit yourself it's kind of in my personal opinion it's, it's even worse they don't even want to actually pay for the audit themselves now they're asking the clients to pay for it and then marketing it market it as as hey we're doing a good thing we're taking the audit away uh, everybody will uh, that does this you know will take the audit clause out of the contract so, so you're not going to be audited but you're actually being audited every day to avoid to avoid an audit down the line that's what it sounds like it is every quarter but uh, yes constantly auditing all the time uh, right. but also paying for the audit yourself <laughs> and then you have to declare the result every quarter to IBM so IBM knows exactly what you use what you don't use um, imagine how would that empower their sales team <laughs> on a quarterly basis 
Yeah. And, and it doesn't provide 100% protection. Isn't, isn't there some kind of funny thing around the, 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 the subcapacity configuration as well, that, that if, you, if you get that wrong, you, you can still be fined? Absolutely. absolutely. So in terms of, um, in the past, if you have a subcapacity problem, you still have time to fix it. And then it won't get materialized unless you get audited by BMI, who knows, maybe every three years or whatever. Mm. But now, basically, if you have a subcap problem, <laughs> that's, that's now visible to IBM every quarter. So imagine that. Wow. So when is it? When is an audit not an audit? Wow. Okay. We have we have we have the answer. Um, last question for you, Eric. I mean, if we were to meet again in four and a half years' time on that stage in the Sofitel Hotel in Terminal Five of Heathrow Airport, I'd love to be there now. <laughs> even even at a, even at an airport hotel. Uh, well, there now if it was all open. Um, tell me, what do you think the landscape is going to look like? The mega vendor landscape. You know. There's been huge change in the last four and a half years. What's it going to look like four and a half years from now? Yeah, I think that's a very, very interesting question. I, I think COVID has definitely accelerated the sort of the digital transformation. It's a fancy world, but a lot of people, a lot of organizations are accelerating their money moving to cloud. So that really, really up the, has, has up the pressure for, for the legacy vendors um, in terms of what they want to do. So from what I can see, they will continue to do audit. The, the, the scale of what they can audit will be shrinking every day. So there will be less audit, uh, I'll say, in five years' time. Each audit will be a lot more aggressive because there's nothing to lose in five years' time. So that's kind of, it's a little bit pessimistic, but uh, that's just my, you know, my, my view kind of working in this business and, and what yeah. I think. So as, as they sink, they will become more aggressive. And, and yeah. so, so for customers, what they need to think about is how did they protect themselves from that lash out and that reach out. Excellent. Yeah. Great, great advice, Eric. I think that's, that would be an important message to give to everybody. Thank you, Eric. Your, your own business is going really well, I believe. Um, yes, I think it's, uh, we've grown quite a lot since we last met. Uh, so um, it's, it's, I think, how do I put this bad business for the industry that, um, that the vendors are actually auditing more in COVID, but they also obviously keep us busy. So yeah, can't, can't complain kind of from a, from a business point of view. Well, keep it up. And I, I really look forward to in a few months time, hopefully when things get better, I can get over to London and we'll have a, a cup of coffee or a spell of lunch or something. We're good to see you again. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Appreciate Eric. It. Good to talk Appreciate to you. It. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, wow. Interesting. Sounds good. Interesting. Yeah. yeah more so stuff. the declining mega vendors are coming out more aggressive for these. You know, Stay clear of the lash out <laughs> with the sharp nails. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to arm everybody with a bit of body protection. It's getting more unpleasant. Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll move on. We'll fix it. We'll be on in a month's time. Another month? Yeah. Uh, there'll be a few, few more numbers out do then. Have, do we have a date? Uh, end of the month. <laughs> anyway, after Easter. Yeah, after Easter. After we'll Easter back right. after Easter, we'll Very give good. you. Oh, there'll be a lot of financial results coming out, so we'll have a look at those. There should be. Yeah, we yeah. might get yeah. a, a, an interesting guest ones. to help us with some of those, maybe. We might do. Yeah, preliminary yeah. results at least. Yeah. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Yeah. Thank well, you. Sounds like there'll be a lot more, lot to talk about because these vendors are never without wanting. Yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Take you, care. Derek. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you all in a month. Take care.